This is uh, Paul Schneiderman today on the 85th edition of Sports and Stuff on Rainier Avenue Radio. I have a very special guest today, longtime KGR Sports Radio AM host, Dick Fain. Dick is currently the host of the Softy and, and Dick show on KGR. He's been the Seattle Storm play-by-play announcer for a long time. He's worked as a King 5 TV sports anchor, University of Washington grad. I also learned, Dick, you have a master's in sports administration leadership from Seattle U, right? I do, yeah. Back, uh, I think, 2010 was when I graduated. I just uh, kind of decided in my mid-30s if this uh, radio thing either doesn't work out or uh, if I, I want to change careers later on in life, uh, let's, have, uh, let's have something to do. Well, that's a good degree. I, I, we're similar. I have a UW undergraduate degree and a degree from Seattle Law School, so we both have ties to those two nice. respective institutions. Well, Dick, I we've met a few times over the years. I appreciate you coming on uh, Rainier Avenue Radio uh, Sports and Stuff show, a show that was launched in 2017. I've had many great guests, such as yourself now. I appreciate you coming on. Absolutely. Let's have fun. Dick, uh, we've met a few times over the years, and one thing that I'm enjoying is I've been interviewing a bunch of sports radio and media personalities, such as yourself. And it's kind of fun because... It's kind of like getting the doctor in the patient's seat. Maybe not the best analogy, but it's kind of fun to get a bunch of you in the other chair. So I want to share that with you. It's all—it's always kind of interesting to sort of get you guys in a different different format. Um, speaking of your of your talk show experience, I really enjoyed your sports Saturday show that was on for many years. I remember like driving, running errands, and I would. You, you were kind of a friend in those years on Saturday afternoons. I would, I would have you on. Would that Saturday sports show ever come back, Dick? You know, that's a great question. Uh, I, I think with, uh, you know, the, the importance of play-by-play um, and, and the push to, towards that, I think uh, that radio stations, sports radio stations, are trying to get as much play-by-play on the air as they possibly can. Also with... Uh, just numbers, uh, guys. I mean, uh, when I was doing that Saturday show, you know, our staff was probably twice as big as it is now. So uh, you're you're trying to, you know, you got to understand where can you where can you cut back, where can you add, and uh, you know, so Saturdays and uh, weekends in general, um, as far as local programming has really uh, taken a fall off over the last ten years or so. But I enjoyed that show a lot. It was it was difficult, and I you know I think back and I, I kind of shudder at how difficult that was compared to what I'm doing now. I mean, if you just think about it, I mean, I was solo for three hours, sometimes four hours on a Saturday, and a lot of times you're talking about May, June, July, there's no football going on, and you got to figure out something to talk about for three, four hours by yourself, not knowing if you're going to get calls. And nowadays, sports radio has really gone more to a, a team format, uh, a duel, you know, where you take less calls and you just always know that you're going to have somebody next to you that you can chat with. And so uh, it really prepared me for just about anything that I was going to do later on life and radio, uh, including the, you know, the morning show that I did, the solo show that I did uh, that started at 5 a.m. and then was moved to 5.30 a.m. Uh, it, it really cut my teeth. Uh, and by the time I started doing a 5 a.m. show by myself, I was like, man, one hour of solo radio, this is simple because I used to do three or four on Saturday. Interesting insights. I'll tell you, Dick, with my little show, I would have a hard time doing it without guests. So I just learned something from you just hearing about how the Saturday show kind of has prepared you further in your career. So anyhow, I enjoyed that show. And uh, who knows, maybe one day it will come back if if a whole bunch of things happen. 
Hey, Dick, what, what got you into the whole sports media broadcasting world? Was, was there a particular event growing up that kind of triggered it? Tell, tell us kind of how you got the, the bug to go into sports media. Yeah, I mean, I, it really comes from my folks who are both uh, huge sports fans. Uh, my dad was a multi-sport college athlete, um, both baseball and basketball uh, at Whitman College. And, you know, but that's funny that my mom is actually the bigger sports fan of the two, at least the bigger uh, football fan of the two. So I think I got my uh, passion for, for basketball, certainly from my dad. Uh, I got my passion for football from my mom. And, uh, you know, I just always wanted to describe what was going on in the games. And I started back, you know, with the old Sonics where I take a tape recorder out. I, I really wish I still had these cassette tapes. But, uh, you know, in the late 70s, early 80s, I would just sit in front of a television and, and you know, and say, uh, you know, DJ to JJ inside to Jack uh, for yeah. a hook shot, you know. And I'd be five, six, seven years of age calling a, calling the game into a into a tape recorder and it was just always a passion of mine and honestly um i don't remember ever wanting to do anything else i mean i I was certainly an anomaly i mean most kids have 15 different things they want to do from the time they're five till the time they're 20 and then when they get to 20 they end up doing something that they didn't even have on their list and uh, i was not like that at all I, i always wanted to be a broadcaster didn't know i wanted to be sports me uh sports radio it was more I wanted to be uh, a play-by-play guy, which, uh, you know, thank God for the Seattle Storm. They've given me that opportunity to uh, call some unbelievable basketball. I mean, as good as good a women's basketball as there is in the world right here in Seattle. So it's been uh, it's been really fun to do that. Well, I'm going to ask about the Storm in a minute. And, and so you never had a law and politics bug like your brother Joe got? No, and uh, to the contrary. Uh, I stay as far away from politics politics as I can. Uh, I think politics is very stressful. It's, uh, you know, even just watching politics over the last, uh, you know, six months has been a very, very stressful time for me. So uh, I definitely try to stay out of that. Gotcha. Fair enough. Paul Schneiderman, host of Sports and Stuff on Rainier Avenue Radio with KGR Sports Radio host Dick Fain. Dick, yeah, you mentioned the storm. You've been the play-by-play guy for them now for a while. They won the, the uh, WNBA championship again. Definitely an accomplishment, despite the weird pandemic season. Do you think the Storm championship is getting enough local and national attention? I think local, yes. Uh, I think people in Seattle have really embraced this franchise. And the reason I say that is just basically by the response that I've gotten when talking about the storm, both on the air and just in the general public in my conversations. My first uh, championship I was able to call was 2010. And that whole season, the storm was dominating the league. And it was never mentioned on KJR, on the other sports radio station. And rarely anybody would even ask me about how the storm are doing. And then you fast forward eight years later to 2018 and weeks before the playoffs even started, I would get questions, comments from not women, but men, uh, friends of mine, uh, acquaintances of mine, just talking about, wow, the Storm are doing great this year. Do you think they're going to win a championship? It was an amazing transformation in those eight years. It has continued to grow over the next, over the, since in the two, two years. Now, obviously, it was tough, tougher for the city to kind of wrap their arms around a team that they never saw in person this year that was always seen out of a, in a bubble. 
but certainly the media coverage was there. We talked about it on the radio. Uh, it was all over the Seattle Times. And so locally, I do think that, that the WNBA and the Storm have gotten a lot of respect. I see that in numerous cities around America. We still have a long way to go for the country to embrace the WNBA the way that Seattle has embraced the, um, uh, the, the WNBA. But the progressive nature of Seattle aids to that. Let's face it. I mean, the WNBA, a very, very progressive politically um, organization. Um, they, made, they made no bones about that in 2020 in the bubble. And so, obviously, it lends itself a little bit more to uh, the clientele we have here in Seattle as well. So last decade, you're sort of extrapolating from your answer to my question. You're seeing more local attention towards the storm, and that 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 makes sense. Uh, Dick, you, you mentioned a minute ago you're not a big fan of politics, and my next question has a political, sociological angle to it. So I'm still going to ask you it because I, I want to get your feedback. Okay, right. but, but Sue Bird said recently that the WNBA is less popular because soccer players generally are cute little white girls. There's a lot there, a lot of sexuality there, sociology, race. What did you think of Sue Bird's comments from a few weeks back? I think Sue knows it better than anybody. I mean, that is, that's just uh, an opinion that I couldn't even possibly have one way or the other because Sue has lived it and I haven't. So I'm just going to trust her that, uh, you know, she is in that circle more than anybody. She knows the women's soccer um, intimately, obviously, through her relationship with Megan Rapinoe and her relationship with a lot of the players on the, on the U.S. national team, which she's been friends with for a long, long time. And the same thing goes for, uh, for the WNBA. I mean, there's not a WNBA uh, player that doesn't uh, know, love, and respect Sue Bird. So, I mean, I, I just have to, I kind of have to just accept what Sue says is a gospel when it comes to that. Sure. And, you know, you're right. She, she plays in the, in the WNBA, her, I believe now, wife or, significant other it plays in in the soccer women's soccer league so yeah it it, it definitely that that her 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 answer or her take on on why the nba nba is less popular definitely got a lot of people talking but you know she has her perspective for sure hey dick you've you've interviewed many many people and you've had so many conversations about sports related matters and can you think of an interview or sports conversation you had where you went in with a pretty strong opinion, but after the interview or conversation could have been with another host, whatever you came out with a different perspective on an issue where you looked at an issue differently. Can you think of, of an episode where an interview or conversation kind of shifted you on a position? Well, I don't know if it shifted me on a position per se, but certainly educated me on another person's perspective. Uh, I think that the, the shows that we did this spring were, they were as enriching a shows that we have ever done where we morphed the sports world and what was going on in the post George Floyd America and we turned a minimum of a week's worth of shows into that because that was obviously the driving story, the driving force of what was going on. That's what everybody was talking about um, in, in going on into the summer, into May, and into June. And just and so we basically, I mean, we talked to uh, at least two of our uh, African American guests, friends that we've had on the show prior, just to find out what they were going through and how they were approaching what they were seeing on television and 
it just it just totally opened up uh, the world to me from a different light, from a different perspective, and you know it just educated me really. I don't know if it necessarily changed my feelings about anything or changed my opinions about anything, but it was certainly just really enriching to hear from all those people uh, from our, our local. Uh, you know, our local guys uh, here, Seattle Times guys, uh, local radio guys, uh, guys from outside the, the area. I mean, our friend Jerry Brewer from the Washington Post came on numerous times during that uh, during that time. And it was just uh, really, really interesting to hear all those uh, guys and gals' uh, perspective. You know, Dick, I heard you and Softy on the air have conversations with some of those aforementioned people that you have mentioned. And... You're right. I mean, as a listener, I was I was hearing some of those interviews, and it definitely it was pretty visceral. It was pre- pretty strong for sure. It was, yeah. Um, I asked Dave Grosby a similar question, and I'm going to ask you the same question. I know you're not a big fan of politics. You mentioned that a minute ago. But can sports and <laughs> politics be avoided? Can they be avoided? Uh, you know, I don't think so anymore, really, in the— in this uh, internet social media era, um, I just I just think the I think it was a lot easier for people to go on Twitter and say stick to sports five ten years ago, um, and they may have had a fairly uh, valid point back then. But now, when the athletes themselves uh, are definitely not sticking sticking to sports, and they have a message to tell. Um, I think it, you know, that it's all part of the package, right? I mean, uh, I guess you can choose to either watch or not watch based upon the political, you know, leanings and beliefs of the athletes. But I don't think you can come on and, you know, interrupt somebody on Twitter who's making a point and say, well, stick to sports. Um, you know, that's, I, that, that when you interject, then I think that's where you probably cross the line at this point. I mean, you can choose, you can do whatever you want. You mean, you can choose to watch, not watch, believe, not believe in what they're saying. But when there is a, a discourse, an intellectual discourse going on on Twitter that at times are, is very, very healthy. I mean, just coming on and saying stick to sports, what does that do for anybody really? I, I just don't, I don't see what that, all that does is, put a seed of dissension into what is a lot of times some pretty positive discourse. Well, my two cents is when you have labor issues and I trust issues and race issues and gender equity issues and sports stadium issues, I don't know how politics and sports can be avoided completely. That's my humble two cents, but, but you work in the business and I think you kind of have a similar perspective in a way, huh? Yeah, no, I think that's fair. Um, Dick, okay, I've been on a high horse. I've been asking this a question to all sorts of guests since last year. Some of my, you know, few listeners are probably getting sick of this question, but every time I ask it, I get a wonderful answer. So I've gotten a few, one guest, Dave Sims, answered Sandy Koufax, Softy answered Tiger Woods, a whole bunch of different names. Steve Rabel said Bill Russell. If you could interview or have an extended conversation with one living sports figure, it could be a player manager, owner, whatever, who would it be? Oh, living. Uh, you got me with living because I was going to go to Ali. But, uh, Ali comes up a lot. Yeah, yeah, but you said, you said living. Living, right. So, oh, boy. 
That is a great question. Um, I can give you some more clues if you want from some of my other guests. Yeah, answered. yeah. Who did who did some other who did some other people? Uh, sure. Other people mentioned. Grosby answered Floyd Merriweather. Furness said Russell Wilson. Steve Kelly answered Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Percy Allen answered Mike Tyson. Puckett said Jordan. Rick Turner, by the way, gave a really interesting answer a week or two ago. He answered Oscar Pistorius, the South African runner who. <laughs> Got in trouble. Well, now, so. now that that lends me to this question, Paul. That yeah. lends me to this question: Are we going to get truth serum, open, honest responses from these people, or are we going to get what they normally give us? For example, if Furness said Russell Wilson, I mean, that could be the most boring twenty minutes of all time. Or if you could get Russell Wilson just to speak openly, honestly about anything and everything. That's exactly how Furness answered it. He said, I want Russell Wilson to really open up. That, that, that's how Furness answered it, Dick, that way. Yeah, I mean, I, it, and, and I think that goes for a lot of these, a lot of these people. I mean, I thought listening to Jordan uh, was fascinating in, in, uh, in the documentary, The Last Dance, because we don't hear a lot from Michael Jordan. And so I think those it would definitely be a guy like that who we just don't hear a lot from, and certainly don't hear we don't hear them being open. And not that Russell Wilson's not honest. Russell Wilson's very honest. I think he believes everything he says. He just doesn't give us um, a lot of meat to choose. You know what I mean? Right. So you, would you answer Jordan? Yeah, I think I'll. I'll I would, I would go, I mean, Jordan and Tiger Woods are my two, you know, idols growing up along with Ken Griffey Jr. I mean, those three were, were always above and beyond. So uh, of those three, and I could get them to open up, I mean, because, you know what, I might go with Tiger because we've, we haven't seen the Tiger documentary yet, right? We haven't seen the, I'm True. waiting for the last dance Tiger Woods documentary that goes through all of his ups, all of his downs. We see the uh, we see the 2009 crash and burn. We get to know intimate details on all of that from his own mouth. Um, if if you can if you can promise me that in a 30 minute interview with Tiger Woods, I'm taking Tiger Woods. Oh, he would be fascinating. But here's a name that no one has mentioned, and who I think would be very high on my list: Henry Aaron, Hank Aaron, 85 years old now. Get his take on his home run chase while the racism back in 74, get his take on Bonds surpassing his home run record. I think Hank Aaron would be a fascinating guy to talk to. He absolutely was. He actually passed through my mind, Paul, but I got to be honest with you, I wasn't sure if he was still alive. No, I understand. (laughs) I I understand. I didn't mention Hank Aaron. I apologize. I should probably know whether uh, Hammer and Hank is still alive. No, we're all good. We're all good. So yeah, I I get it. Well, I, I appreciate your feedback and, and, and you probably would go with Tiger Woods if, if you had to pick one of all these people. Is that who you would pick? Yeah, okay. yeah I think so. Okay. Yeah, so I you and Softy, it's funny, the two, the, the, Fane and, and Mahler, the co-hosts, both picked Tiger Woods. Kind of kind of fun. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, Paul Schneiderman, host of Sports and Stuff on Rainier Avenue Radio with Dick Fane. Um, Dick, the Hawks are 6-2 and two now at the halfway mark, doing pretty good record-wise for sure, but a lot of conversations about their defense. Kind of reminds me of the 2011 Husky season with – Nick Holt is a defensive coordinator. There, there's some, some similarities there. So here's my question for you, Dick. Should the Hawks let Ken Norton Jr. go as a defensive coordinator? And if so, should they do it during this regular season? 
you know, I think it's really tough and it may even be unprecedented to see a coordinator be fired in the midst of a six and two first place heat. Um, I think if you're, if you're three and five and you know something absolutely has to change or else you're not going to make the playoffs, I could see maybe something like that happening middle of the season, especially if there's a candidate out there like a Dan Quinn that could come in, um, and, and fill the spot. At six and two, I, I think there has definitely been scheme problems. I also think that the Seahawks are suffering from a twofold problem. The first thing is the injuries. They have had their starting defensive backfield play exactly one out of eight games together. One. And that starting defensive backfield was supposed to be, as, as Softy and I, we claimed in July, could be the best back seven, in, if you include the linebackers, in Seahawks history including the Legion of Boom, because, I mean, it was, it was the potential to be that good, but we haven't seen them together. That's, that's one problem. The second problem is, look at all the new faces. Count the number of Seahawks that are playing on this defense this year that have never gone through one training camp with Pete Carroll and Ken Norton. Quandre Diggs, last year, was acquired in the middle of the season, didn't go through a training camp. You've got Jamal Adams. Now Snacks Harrison, Carlos Dunlap, Quentin Dunbar. Um, either the list goes on and on and on of guys that have never been schooled, truly schooled by Pete Carroll and Ken Norton. They have come in on the fly to try to learn what is a fairly complex Seahawks defensive scheme that normally gets better through the course of the year. And I think it will get better through the course of the year if the Seahawks just go back to the basics and say, you know what, we're going to treat November like training camp. Well, let's spend less time scouting our opponents and more time making ourselves better like we would in July and August. And if they can do that, then they're going to be just fine. Because if they can find a way to win two of the next three games, they can even drop one. But if they can win two of the next three games between the Rams, the Cardinals, and the Eagles, that puts them at 8-3, and three, and look what they have after that. Jets, Giants, Washington. Boom. That is 11 and 3 right there going into the last two games of the season. And then you're rolling. So two of the next three games, go back to the basics on defense, get these guys healthy. And I think this defense has a chance, a very good chance, if they do those two things, of being, you know, kind of a middle of the pack defense in points allowed. And what happens if the Seahawks are all of a sudden a middle-of-the-pack defense and points allowed, and they're still scoring 30 points a game? They're going to the Super Bowl. I mean, that's just, that's just the fact, Jack. They're going to the Super Bowl if they're the number one offense and the number 15 defense in the league by the time the season is over. So that's the goal, I think, for this season. A lot of intangibles, but your points seem very logical. So you would say don't fire Ken Norton Jr. Um, if you're going to do it, let, let him finish the season in. at least. Yeah, I mean, I've always been a proponent of bringing Dan Quinn in as a consultant, and maybe they're already doing that and just not telling anybody. I mean, that's, that's possible. Uh, but to bring him in and just to replace Ken Norton right now, he would be the only candidate that, that would even remotely make sense to do that. But this is Pete Carroll's defense, and Pete Carroll's got to fall on the sword for Ken Norton, and they got to work together this year, and if, if it never comes to pass this year where that defense gets the middle of the pack with the talent that they have, if that talent gets healthy, then, yeah, I think they're going to make a change at the end of the season. But, no, let's uh, let's kind of 
stick with it right now. Seahawks fans are notorious panickers. Um, all you got to do is look at Twitter right now. Uh, after one bad loss to the Bills, that still has them in first place in the in the division. And you look at Twitter, and you would think that they're two and six in the basement and going nobody and nowhere. And you know, I like to make fun of them. I'll make fun of them on this show. I like to make fun of them on my show because I am I am much more long term view. You know, it's how you view the stock market. I view the stock market over a long term, not panic when the stock market goes down 900 points in one day. Uh, I don't panic when the Seahawks lose in one day either. I like your stock market analogy. I'm, I'm kind of similar to you. Well, I'm not necessarily in favor. I'm a casual fan. I'm not necessarily in favor of letting Ken Norton Jr. go before the end of the season. But maybe Ken Jr. can implement some of his late father's boxing style to, to the Seahawks defense for the rest <laughs> of the season. So. Well, you know, he's taught some of that to those linebackers, and that's one of the reasons, uh, one of the main reasons that I think he should not go is that K.J. Wright and Bobby Wagner, Ken Norton is like a father figure to those guys, and those are your two defensive stalwart leaders. Do you really want to piss off your two defensive stalwart leaders who love this guy like an older brother, like a father? I, I just don't think... That makes good sense. You're probably onto something. It's just coming up in some Seahawks fan circles about the decision whether whether to let Ken go before the year is over. I, I tend to agree. Let him finish the season and, and reassess from there. Okay, Dick, change of subject. You're a big Seattle basketball fan. I know you miss the Sonics as much as I do. And in your big Seattle basketball fan perspective, in that context, I want to get your take on the Seattle Kraken starting next year i'm going to i'm going to give you four options one very very excited it's as close to having the nba back number two very neat but not nearly at the level of getting the nba back number three cool enough but not even a consolation prize to getting the nba back number four you really don't care that much what bracket are you in as a seattle basketball fan in getting an nhl franchise to seattle beginning next season yeah, somewhere between one and two. Um, not a full one because, no, for me, hockey is not going to replace basketball. I, I am not going to be as excited for a, for a sport that I never played and never paid any attention to for the first 45, 45 years <laughs> of my life uh, versus a sport that I played uh, all through my childhood, coached high school for 15 years, and have been a play-by-play guy for the last 15 years. I mean, there's, a, I mean, there's, there's your difference, right? Basketball is absolutely in my blood whereas hockey is going to be something I'm going to have to learn. But that doesn't mean I'm not excited, and that's what puts me between a one and a two. I think, I think the Kraken should be seen separately as a replacement than as a replacement for the Sonics. Uh, I'm not even going to, not even going to go there. Uh, I'm going to enjoy the Kraken on its own, and what's going to be kind of cool for me is that my kids are still young enough, and I was hoping this was going to happen for the NBA, that the NBA would come back with my kids still young enough where they could say that they grew up with the NBA team. I don't know if that's going to happen anymore, but I can say my kids are young enough that they're going to grow up with something that I didn't have, and that's an NHL team. And I can take them to games, and I can watch games on TV with them, and we can become hockey fans together. So I think that's going to be really, really exciting that we have a new sport that I don't know much about, that I never paid any attention to, that my kids and I can learn about at the same time. Would you say getting the Kraken to Seattle is more than a consolation prize? 
Oh yeah, yeah. Again, I I I don't want to compare it to basketball. And if you say it's a consolation prize, then you're comparing it to basketball. Then you're saying it's not basketball, so therefore it's not cool or it's not as good. And I just don't feel that way. I mean, I'm I'm going to keep it in a completely different de- uh, department. What we did get by this arena, and whether the arena is in the right in in the place that you wanted it in or not, it looks like it's going to be a beautiful arena and it's going to be state-of-the-art and it's going to be everything that we that we wanted whether we wanted it in soto or whether we wanted a key you know it's going to be fantastic and that is going to assist that is the one major roadblock that you had from bringing an nba team back we all knew that from the very beginning so then the one major roadblock that you have had for the last 10 years and the reason that there has been no nba team coming back has been lifted so now it's just a matter of the NBA deciding, okay, owners, finding ownership I don't think is going to be a problem. Are you, I mean, are you kidding me? With all, the, with all the money in this town, I don't think it's going to be a problem finding local ownership that wants to own an NBA team. The problem is going to be just simply is the NBA, um, do they find it financially beneficial to them to either expand or to move a struggling franchise to what is a – booming economic and basketball market. Dick, speaking of the arena situation, and you really brought something up that's helping me lead to my next plan question. You know, you've done a lot of interviews. You know, sometimes you, you don't get to your plan question. Sometimes you do. But some of the ways right. you're answering questions are, are foreshadowing my next anticipate questions very well here. Is the Seattle Soto Arena dead or on life support right now? Oh, I, I think it's probably dead. Um, now, they, that doesn't mean that they couldn't put a different kind of arena down there. An arena that is more, you know, smaller type venue, um, for, for events that, that need that, you know, eight, ten thousand seat capacity per se that don't, that don't want to pay the, pay the freight to, to go to, to go to Key Arena. I mean, certainly you can, there's a lot of improvements that can be done done to the Soto area. We already have showware there for that. Yeah, but, in the Everett but it's arena. not in Seattle. You know, it's it's not it's not in Seattle. So I I don't know. I I I do not see another NBA sized arena going into Soto. If that if that's if that answers your question, I yeah. mean, it could be developed. There could be some sort of event space down there. Uh, similar to like what you mentioned with with Showware, but uh, I, I do not see a twenty thousand seat arena going into Soto. Yeah, it, it, it strikes me as being maybe a stretch, but you never know. Dick, you got time for a few more questions? Yeah, yeah, I guess you want. Great, great. Um, Kyle Lewis, Rookie of the Year. Uh, I really like watching Kyle Lewis. I think he's got a great future as a baseball player. I, he had some great plays this year, but do you view an AL Rookie of the Year as a valid AL Rookie of the Year with a sixty-game season? Is it is he truly the Rookie of the Year? <laughs> yeah, I think he is. Uh, he was unanimous. Um, now, obviously, he could have struggled in the other hundred games. There's no question. But uh, these are the rules we're playing by this year. I was not a fan of the sixty-game season. I mean, I thought there was plenty of there was plenty. Not that I thought there was plenty of time. There was plenty of time to play 80, 90 games. Uh, but the, you know, Major League Baseball just never got off their butt and got the uh, and got the economics worked out, so we only played 60. 
But, uh, yeah, he had a fantastic season. Um, he, he got some notoriety for the Mariners, as did Evan White getting the gold glove. And I think the Mariners got out of 2020 everything that they wanted to get out of 2020. Um, so I'm encouraged. Uh, I'm obviously, you know, been very critical of how this franchise has handled things over the last 20 years, and rightfully so. But I do give Jerry Depoto a clean slate. I've given him a clean slate ever since he walked in the door. I've given John Stanton a clean slate since he's walked in the door. And I said, hey, you cannot, you cannot judge Jerry Depoto and John Stanton on the sins of the past GMs and ownership of this baseball team. It's just not fair. There's no reason why you should judge those guys based upon the past sins. So uh, they've done everything they promised to do over the last two years in rebuilding this team, and we're seeing the fruits of their labor. Right and, of course, Jerry Depoto got some more trades in during the 2020 season. That goes without saying. Oh, yeah. There'll be many, many more between now and uh, March, too. Dick, I, let's, let's, let me get two more questions in. Uh, we're going to wrap it up in a couple minutes. So what do you think is the biggest 2020 national sports story that has gone on on the field? There's so much off-the-court stuff going on. What would you say is the biggest on-the-field sports story this year? Uh, so far, probably LeBron winning a title. I mean, and getting him, and getting him that closer to that much closer to Jordan. Um, that was, and in the whole debate. Um, I mean, you talk about you talk about how divided politics are. My goodness, uh, LeBron James is a political question all on its own. I mean, there are people out there um, that just not only not only don't want to admit that LeBron should be in the same breath as Michael Jordan, they adamantly hate on LeBron and hate on anybody that feels like LeBron should even be mentioned. And I mean, just read, read, just do any, find any tweet about LeBron James from ESPN or whatever, and just go read the comments. It is unbelievable how much hate one of the greatest athletes in America has received in the social media era. And Michael Jordan even came out a couple of weeks ago and said, I don't think I could have performed in this era. Isn't think that about something? that. Michael Jordan admitted he doesn't think that he could have handled the social media era. And you know, so and Jordan, not only is LeBron James, what's that? And Jordan rarely shows any vulnerabilities either. Jordan did what? Jordan rarely shows a vulnerability either. Absolutely. A- absolutely. He rarely does. So that, that, that speaks volumes when that's coming from Michael Jordan. So not only is LeBron James competing against better athletes and better basketball players now than, than there was 20 years ago, that's indisputable. I mean, they can run faster, jump higher, shoot better, and, but he's, he now has to deal with millions of people that can't stand him that Michael Jordan never had to deal with. So I absolutely, I mean, I'll, still, I'll still put, put Jordan 1 and LeBron 2, but they're absolutely in the same conversation. And LeBron isn't done yet. He wins another one and another one. And guess what? What's better, winning six and going to six or winning six and going to 12? Oh, by the way, Husky legend Greg Lewis answered LeBron James to my question and who, what athlete, living athlete, liked to interview. So I forgot to mention LeBron to that. Oh, there you go. So, well, Dick, I think we're going to wrap it up in a minute, but here's my final question for you. And I've had a lot of fun getting you on. It's just been great. Uh, to catch up with you and get some of your perspectives off your KGR show and 
I'm probably going to turn you on again in a few hours on KGR. Cool. But what is something Dick Fane has not done in the sports media field that you would love to do or at least give a try before you hang it up? Um, I would love to continue to do more basketball play-by-play. Um, the way you know, I've, I've had the opportunity to do some with uh, with Westwood One, which has been a, a lot of fun. I enjoy um, traveling around doing games as long as it's not heavy travel, as long as it doesn't take too much time away from my family. I mean, I got two young kids, so um, I'm, I'm glad I'm not. I don't have to do it a lot, but I would really love to uh, to go do some more. You know, whether it's NCAA tournament games. Uh, I mean, potentially being the play-by-play person for another team, but that doesn't necessarily uh, have to happen. I just, I just enjoy studying for games and being able to, uh, to do those games. And then, you know, and then on the non-broadcast side, I would love, get, love to get back into coaching again. Um, you know, high school coaching again. That was a passion of mine. I, I did it for 15 years. We had a, a really good run. And uh, you know, maybe when my kids are high school age, I'll get back into high school coaching again. But uh, for right now, I'm. Uh, I'm a fifth grade basketball and football coach, and then it'll probably be sixth grade and seventh grade and just move myself up with my son. Dick, you're a real sports guy, and I, your, your basketball passion came out here that you like to do some more basketball play-by-play stuff in the future. Really appreciate coming on Sports and Stuff on Rainier Avenue Radio, Mr. Fain. That's you and I. Stay in touch. All right. Take care. Thanks, you man. Too. Bye-bye.